start today um, by reading Matthew 24. We're in the series, Understanding the Times. And uh, we're going to just read this passage as sort of the foundational passage for this particular uh, um, series that we're doing. So we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 14. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so we see here the Lord answering these, the, this question that has been proposed to him by the, um, the apostles. What will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? And what we see in this passage, as the Lord relates the signs, we see that He refers to deception, not just once, but twice. And I think that this is very significant. He mentions famines and earthquakes and all these kind of things just once. He mentions persecution just once. Lawlessness just once but he mentions deception twice. Two separate occasions, just in this short little statement that he makes, he talks about deception. We also see that it's the only thing that he warned the apostles about. He said, see to it that you are not led astray, that no one leads you astray. And so I think when we look at just the, the um, significant place that the Lord gave to deception in his answer to this question shows us that deception is going to be one of the main hallmarks of the times that will lead or be just before the end. One of the main signs that the Lord gave us is that there's going to be an abundance of deception. He said, many will come in my name and lead many astray. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And so we see him talking here about this, this multiplication of deception in the earth 
as a sign that the end is drawing near. You know, we are living in times where deception is abounding in the earth. And this is what I want to really focus in on today, is this matter of deception. Because we really need to be aware of it. I want to look at five things briefly today. The first one is the origin of deception. The second, the goal of deception. The third, the power of deception. Fourth, the means of deception. And lastly, the antidote to deception. Okay, so that's what we're going to go through very quickly. I mean, this is such a big subject that I'm really just going to give you a flyover today. We're, we're in a helicopter and we're just flying over. But as we have this bird's eye view of it, I think that it will just help us to, to take it further in our own studies and in our own lives. Scripture reveals the origin of deception. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 44, He said, Satan is the father of lies. So where deception originate from? What is the original source of deception? It's this being that we know of as Satan. He is the source, the author of every form of deception. As he said, he's the father of lies. So deception originated with him. And every deception is satanic. We could say this. Every deception is satanic in its origin. We can characterize Satan in four words. He is a deceiver. If you want to know what Satan is, he is a deceiver. From the very beginning, he has been a deceiver. And if you look at scripture right through to the very end, right through to chapter 20, which is the last moment of Satan's existence on this planet, we see him deceiving. That is what Satan is about. He is a deceiver. And not only is he a deceiver, but he is a master deceiver. We should never underestimate Satan's capability at deceiving people. Revelation 12.9 says that he has led the whole world astray. So his deception is global in its magnitude. Deception is Satan's age-old work. And it is his chief weapon against mankind. Chief weapon. It's not the secondary one. This is his number one go-to weapon. This is what his work is all about. We see this right in the Garden of Eden. What was the very first thing Satan did? He came to deceive. And as I said, this is what we will see right at the very end of the age. It says in Revelation 20, he will arise and deceive. And even in this age in which we live, the church age in which we're living, Paul says in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, that Satan takes people captive to do his will. Why and how? Through deception. That's how he does it. So let's look at now at the goal of deception. Why does Satan want to deceive people? Well, it's very simple. He wants to control people. You see, what a person believes determines what they will do. A person is controlled not only by what they believe to be true, but who they believe is telling them the truth. 
And so if Satan can convince people that what he is saying is the truth, they become his slaves. He can control them through his lies. Now we see this in, in, the, in the world, don't we? If someone wants to control a population or a nation, what do they use? We call it propaganda. What is propaganda? It is just feeding people with a certain idea, a certain uh, notion that causes them to believe it so that they act in a certain way. That's why Satan deceives. He wants to control people. If Satan can convince people that what he is saying is true, even though it, it is not, they will do what he wants them to do and he will have control over their lives. Why does Satan want to control people? Well, he wants to control people because he wants to stop God's will from being fulfilled. He wants to defeat God's purposes. This has been his aim right from the very beginning. He wants to take mankind away from God and he wants to stop mankind serving God because he wants to have mankind for himself. So his, his goal in all of this is to alienate man from God and bring man into subjection to his will. That's what he wants. Essentially, we could say this. He wants to be the God of humanity. He wants to be the one that human beings are looking to, human beings are following, worshipping, serving, and believing. That's what he wants. And so this is why we see at the very first opportunity that he had, he went after Adam and Eve. And he succeeded in deceiving them. He succeeded not only in deceiving Adam and Eve, but we can see through human history, he has succeeded in deceiving all of Adam's offspring. And I'm sure that Satan at times has thought that he's won the battle and that he had the whole world under his control. You remember when he came to the Lord Jesus to tempt the Lord Jesus? He said, you see all these kingdoms? Do you see all the glory? It's all been given to me. It's all mine. I'll give it to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And so this has been Satan's thought that he had it all under control until the Lord Jesus appeared. And the Lord Jesus turned the tables on him. And he began to realize that actually God is saving people out of darkness. He's bringing people out of the lies and deception that has kept them in darkness and he's bringing them into his marvelous light he began to realize the work of christ as he came as the light of the world into the world and he began to see people turning away from the deceptions and the lies that he had been propagating and beginning to follow the one who is the way the truth and the life the lord jesus christ and so what did he do he made it his aim and his goal to make war against God's saints. Against everyone that God is calling to himself. It became his number one priority to try and deceive God's elect, his people. And to lead them astray from what they've come to believe in. And so we see since the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan has been busy trying to do this. And what's his strategy? His strategy is deception. Why does he use deception? Because it is the most 
effective weapon he possesses. Do you know where the real battle in the world is today? Do you know what it's about? It's about li it's lies against the truth. Do you know that that has been the battle throughout the ages, right from the Garden of Eden? What was the battle as Eve, Adam and Eve stood in the Garden of Eden? What was the battle that was being waged for their souls? It was a battle, the lies of Satan, against the Word of God, the truth of God. And the nature of the battle that we are in has never changed. Satan has never deviated from this tactic and this strategy. And so even today, what is his, what is his aim? His aim is to nullify the Word of God. His aim is to draw people away from the truth to believing a lie. And how does he do it? He does it through trying to deceive people. Deceive. The means of deception. Let's look at how he does this. How does he try to deceive people? Well, first of all, he does it very subtly and very craftily. What does it say in, Gen in Genesis chapter 3? When Satan came to Eve, he came in the form of a serpent, and it says that he was more crafty than all the beasts God had made. The Bible says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, we see those pictures of Satan with his horns and his pitchfork, you know, and his bent tail like this. We sort of have this idea that if Satan comes, he's going to, you know, he's coming as this villain, this one with a mask, darkness. But it says in Scripture that he actually disguises himself as an angel of light. He appears to people and he deceives them and they think that they're actually receiving an angel of God. He's a disguiser. He's, de he's a deceiver. And everything he does is designed for that very purpose. So when he deceives, he laces his lies with truth. Satan never comes to us and just gives us a lie. He always disguises it. He always coats it with truth. You know, if you want to catch a fish, do you just throw a bare hook out there and hope for the best? What do you do? You take a worm and you slide that worm over that hook. And you disguise that hook so that the fish thinks there's only a worm there. But when he bites at that worm, he finds out actually there is a hook inside. And that's exactly how Satan deceives. He takes his lies and he coats it with the truth. He makes it as close to the truth as he possibly can make it. When we think about counterfeits, if someone wants to produce a counterfeit note, what do they aim to do? They aim to make it as close to the real thing as they possibly can. Because if it's far away, people will recognize it. But if it's very, very close to the real thing, even though it's not the real thing, people will be deceived into receiving it and accepting it. And so this is Satan's strategy in deception. It is to make his lies look and appear like they are the truth. He counterfeits everything God does. 
So Satan looks at how God has done things and he counterfeits it. So God has had prophets. So what does Satan produce? Prophets. God has apostles. So what does Satan produce? Apostles. They go by that name. God has ordained for gatherings of his people. So what does Satan do? He ordains gatherings of his people. And he calls them churches. So he doesn't make his gatherings have another title or another name. He calls them a church. And he will ordain a pastor over that church. He makes everything as close to the real as he possibly can. And then he uses people. Scripture shows us. And we see the Lord Jesus in the passage that we read. He talks about deceivers coming and they are people. He talks about false prophets arising. They are people. They are servants of Satan. Many of them don't even fully realize that they are servants of Satan. Why? Because Satan has deceived them. And so when they stand and they talk, they are very convinced by what they're saying. They're not just putting on a pretense. They absolutely believe everything they're saying. And they will tell you that it comes from God. Because they themselves believe that it comes from God. They've been deceived. And so Satan uses these people. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says Satan's servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. They masquerade as servants of righteousness. They put themselves forward as God's servants. So what I'm trying to show you here, I'm trying to show you just how subtle, how crafty this is. Deception, the reason that the Lord said many are going to be deceived is because the deception is going to be very powerful. Very powerful. It's going to be powerful enough to take many away from the truth. We're living in days where this is happening. How can we know these servants of Satan as they're called in Scripture? How can we know them if they're so close? Well, first of all, what we need to realize, as I said, they're going to come and they're going to use all the biblical terminology. They'll talk about righteousness. But how do they, how do they define it? They'll talk about grace. But how do they define it? They'll talk about Jesus. But how do they understand and portray him? They'll Talk about preaching the gospel. But what will be the gospel that they're preaching? Do you see how we have to be, we have to be helped by the, by the Lord in this matter? Because this is very, very subtle. They'll come in to the church. The church is full of these servants of Satan. And in fact, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, here is a church, the Corinthian church. It's a church that Paul himself established. And the people that were in that church were people that he had spent at least two years teaching. Personally taught by the Apostle Paul. And yet in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, you are receiving and welcoming into the church servants of Satan. 
and you're receiving and listening to everything they tell you. He had to, the whole reason he wrote 2 Corinthians was because of what was taking place in the church. So these men will come into the church. They're not out there. We're not talking today about the people that are under the trees. They're easy to see. We're talking today about the people that will come into the church and try to deceive God's people. They'll be very charismatic. And we see in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul portrays the attributes of these men. They're very charismatic. They're excellent communicators, trained communicators. They use fine-sounding arguments, very professional, very successful, and they'll be very popular. What did the Lord say? Many will be led astray. That means they're going to have gatherings. They're going to be popular. So how do we know them? Firstly, by their character. And one of the things that Scripture reveals is that the character of such people, there will be a certain demeanor of arrogance, certain arrogance, boastfulness, puffed up about themselves. They'll promote themselves. So that if you think of what the Lord said here, He said, they will come in my name, but their message will be, I am He. So they will come in the name of Jesus, but then they'll talk about themselves. They'll talk about who they are. They'll talk about their anointing. How many of you are hearing that today? People talking about their anointing. You need my anointing. If you will sit under my ministry, you'll receive my anointing. If you'll give to my ministry, you'll receive my anointing. And you need my anointing. This nation is rife with preachers like that today. So they come in the name of Jesus. They talk about Jesus. But when you really analyze who they are promoting, they're actually promoting themselves. Instead of coming and talking about the anointed one and making that the absolute focus of their ministry, they'll talk about their anointing. Okay, so these are just signs. Their conduct well, one of the giveaways is greed. Scripture talks about that. And how many preachers we see on television today that are exploiting God's people with heresies like if you want to be healed, sow a seed. If you want to be set free, sow a seed. If you want things to go well with you in life, sow a seed. You know what sowing a seed means? Give me your money. That's a giveaway because it goes against the very scripture itself. You remember there was a man that in Acts chapter 8 that came to Peter and to John and he said, give me this ability that you have to lay hands on people so they can receive the Holy Spirit. And he offered them money. You see, he believed in this. If I sow a seed, I'll get what he's got. And you know what happened? Peter turned to him and said, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. That's what Scripture teaches. So do you, are you seeing some of the things here that we need to be aware of? Exploit, exploiters. Satan's servants will exploit God's people. 
They will be abusive in their behavior towards God's people. Any church where there is abuse going on, and I'm, talking not, I'm not talking sexual abuse. I'm talking about just authoritarian control. Abuse of people. It's a sure sign that it's not the Spirit of God. Because God doesn't do that. As, we, as Ian said, he's gentle and he's meek. Lastly, and this is the main one that I want to focus in on today, we can know them by their teaching. By their teaching. I want to give you quickly seven characteristics of false teachers. Number one, and let me just say this first, it doesn't mean that every one of these characteristics will be seen in every false teacher, but if you see one of them, just one of them, have your eyes wide open. The first one is they will depreciate Scripture. Scripture will not be as important. They'll quote Scripture. They'll look at Scripture. They'll quote verses. But you won't find them really teaching the Word of God line upon line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, showing people what the Scriptures are saying, lifting up the Scriptures for people to see. It'll be more about taking a Scripture sharing stories about their own lives and what God is saying to them, Scripture sort of gets put to the side. And what happens is things like encounters. Have you heard that phrase these days? Where everything, you know, we want to have an encounter, an encounter with God. I hear churches today, particularly in the United States, where there's churches there that are talking about going to heaven every day. And what's happening in these churches is that instead of people looking at Scripture and studying Scripture and really seeking to know and understand the Scriptures as they've been given to us, what they're looking for is they're looking for a prophecy. People go to a life group or a home group and, and all they do is prophesy over each other. They don't study the Word. They just prophesy. So wherever you see that, you know that that thing is headed into error. It's a fact it's already in error. Because it's the scriptures that are steadfast. They are like a bedrock upon which we must base our lives. So they will depreciate scripture. They will not encourage people to really be students of God's word. You'll hear many of them mock things like seminaries. You'll, they'll mock it. They'll call, I've heard them say, you know, you go to the seminary, you go to the cemetery. What they're doing is they're alienating people from really, truly, deeply studying God's word. Second thing, they will make light of sin. They will say things like this, the way we live has no bearing on salvation. You can live whatever way you want, you'll still be saved. They will ignore that Christianity is not just a confession of faith, but it is a way of life. Jesus Christ came to bring a way of life to His people. And He said, follow me. So they will ignore that and they just make Christianity a confession of faith. In other words, if you say you believe, that's all that's needed. They make light of sin. They will not readily define sin. They don't want to talk about sin. They will not readily confront sin. So you'll hear them say things like this. I don't need to talk about sin. God's people don't need to be beaten. We just talk about good things. 
We just talk about positive things. The problem with that is we might as well cut out 75% of our Bible. I've heard some pastors say things like this. Our church is not about behavioral change. It's only about acceptance. If you hear that from this pulpit, go. Because that's the whole scriptures. If you read through the epistles, half of the epistles is about behavioral change. It's about the apostles saying this is the way God wants his people to live. So they will make light of sin. They will not readily confront sin. Sin is just, I've heard, in fact, I was speaking to someone not long ago and they said to me, sin's no longer an issue with God. I said, where did you get that from? They got it from a false teacher. Let's go to the, let me just give you some passages. Do you mind if I just read you some passages? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 to 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Look at the next four words. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 to 8. Do not be deceived. See that phrase again? God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 to 7. For you may be sure of this. Take it to the bank. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you notice in all these passages we've just read, do you see that phrase coming up? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And you see the context in which that phrase is being used? It's in the context of the fact Paul and the other apostles knew that this was going to be one of the major areas of deception in the church. That there would be deceivers who would arise and they would say, it doesn't matter how you live. God's grace covers it all. You don't have to follow the way of the Lord. You don't have to. God's grace covers it all. And that's why with every single one of these warnings, they said, do not let anyone deceive you. Because they knew this was going to be one of the major areas of deception. Following on from that, these teachers will ignore or 
and maybe even deny the consequences of sin. So you'll hear them, they don't want to talk about judgment. They don't want to talk about God's wrath. They don't want to talk about hell. Oh no, that's too negative for our positive culture. Let's hide the consequences of sin. And do you know that that's what Satan has been doing right from the very beginning? When he deceived Eve, what did he say to her? She said, God has said that if we eat of that tree, we will die. What did Satan say? You'll not die. What did he do? He denied the consequences of sin. He denied the reality of what God's word says about judgment, about the coming wrath of God, and about the fact that people are going to perish. They don't want to talk about that. Why? Because it makes people uncomfortable. It challenges people right at the very heart of where their lives are. And they want to be popular. They're not out to save anybody. They're out to be popular with everybody. Next, the next sign is that you'll find many of them denying the deity of Christ. Denying the deity of Christ. Romans chapter 9 verse 5, Paul makes the statement. If you just look at the very end of the verse, he says, Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. That's what he says at the end of Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Christ is God over all, blessed forever, amen. So wherever you find the deity of Jesus Christ being denied, you know that that is from the devil. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They portray Jesus as a created being. He was, he's not eternal. There was a point when God created him. Nextly, they deny the humanity of Christ. They deny his humanity as well. Some of them will say Jesus never came in the flesh. They'll never point back to the historical Jesus. Let's just move on to the next one. They will deny the lordship of Christ. Jesus isn't Lord. He isn't the sovereign over our lives. And they will remove Jesus from the center of what takes place. Today we have a Pope. He's the center. He's called the head of the church. But you know there's only one head of the church. And that's Jesus Christ. N lastly, they will deny the sufficiency of Christ. In other words... Salvation through Christ alone is not enough. You must also keep the Sabbath. So it becomes Jesus plus. Jesus plus this. If you want to be saved. The whole letter of Galatians was written to oppose and rectify that thinking. So let's, let's just have a look now at the antidote to deception. Let's go through it quickly. I know time is, is moving. I want to just point out five things that God has given to His people to enable them to escape deception. Apart from God, apart from His work in our lives, apart from Him keeping us, we won't. We're not clever enough. Satan has managed to deceive the whole world. We need the help of the Lord. Look at what He's given us. Number one, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me read 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 to 27. We got it up there? Yeah. 
I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you. Do you know that every believer has an anointing from God? And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. What is He talking about here? Well, He's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? He teaches us to abide in Jesus. To have eyes that are focused on the Lord and never move away from Him. He teaches us to trust in Christ. To depend wholly on Him. The Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. You know false teachers will come and they'll talk about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit they talk about will never point people to Jesus. It happens in this nation everywhere I go. Under the trees. They'll talk about the Holy Spirit. But they never talk about Jesus. They never point people to Jesus. That's not the Holy Spirit. Satan will call his spirits the Holy Spirit. So how do we know the work of the Holy Spirit will always exalt Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And the Lord Jesus said, these Scriptures testify about me. The Holy Spirit will always point people to Jesus. They'll never take Him away. The Holy Spirit will never sideline Jesus. He will never become a secondary issue. Wherever the Spirit of God is working, Jesus will be the focus, the center. He will be the, the all in all that is taking place there. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this anointing, will always cause us to look to Christ and to obey Him and to stay true to the age-old message. We don't need a reinvention of Christianity. There are people trying to reinvent Christianity today. Christianity is 2,000 years old. We mustn't ignore the, the very roots and the history of Christianity. And today there are many preachers and teachers that are trying to cut us off from historical Christianity. Why? Because they can bring this new version that does not resemble what the apostles had and what they passed down to us. Okay? The next thing is the scriptures. The scriptures. The scriptures. Let me just read this to you. It's too important to skip over. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 to 15. This is what Paul says. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he's talking here in the context of deception. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, and this is the part I want you to see, which are able, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God has given us the scriptures because they are the tool that he uses to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We must know the scripture. And today we live in a generation of Christians that do not know the Bible. They do not know it. 
may, may be able to quote verses. They have their favorite verses. They have their verses on the fridge. But they do not know the scriptures like they should. And I remember when I was about 18 years old, I remember my grandmother who was a devout saint of God. She said to me one day, you know, Trevor, the thing that worries me about your generation of Christians is they don't know their Bible. And I tell you that if that was true of my generation, it is even more true of my children's generation. And many of you sitting here today are in that generation. We have to be students of God's word. Because how are we going to know what a lie is and what the truth is if we do not know what God's word says? And this is why things like life group are so important. This is why we're giving time to study the word of God in these groups. It's because without God's word, we are vulnerable. We are open to deception. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God. And doctrine matters. Let me say that again. Doctrine matters. Why did the apostles write all the epistles that they wrote? Why did they spend all that time and effort laying down the doctrines of the Christian faith? Because those doctrines are communications of the truth. And if we don't understand them and we're not grounded in them, we will be vulnerable to the deceivers that are arising all around us. Next thing, we've seen the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've seen the scriptures. The next thing is pastors and elders. I stand before you today with a responsibility. Ian stands before you with a responsibility. The rest of the elder team, we have a responsibility before God. And you know that there's going to be a day when we will give an account for the way we do our job. What we're doing here is just not something just to facilitate a church. There is a responsibility that we have to ensure that you are being helped in your understanding and your knowledge of the scriptures. We have to preach the word. We have to be diligent to make sure that we are rightly dividing it, interpreting it. And this is one of the greatest burdens that I bear in my life. Probably some, one of the things I pray for in terms of myself more than probably anything else is I stand before God and I say, Lord, help me to understand the scriptures. Help me to interpret them rightly. Help me not to lead your people astray. Help me not to be uh, ministering out of a false motive. Let everything I do be for the benefit of your people, for their eternal welfare. That is the burden that we carry. And every single one of us who are elders in this church carry that responsibility and that burden. The next thing is members of the body of Christ. Each and every one of us. We've been placed in a church, a body like this, so that we can take care of one another. It's not just about coming, sitting in a chair, listening to me preach or Ian preach or someone else preach. We are part of a body. And that's why, once again, and I say it again, that's why life groups are so important. Because it's there that you're able to get to know people. And it's in those situations that we can even correct people if we see that something, they've believed something that is not true. I mean, we're living in the information age, aren't we? You can just... You go onto Google, you go onto the YouTube, Facebook, 
all kinds of ideas, all kinds of information just being fed to us day in and day out. And you know what I've heard a lot of people saying? I don't know what's true and what's false anymore. Because it's just this blend. It's just this murky water that's out there. And many times I've, I've seen this, I've witnessed this, where people will be on the YouTube and they'll find a preacher and they'll start listening to what this person's saying and they'll come to me and say, you know, I was listening to such and such and he was saying this. And I'll say, do you think that's the truth? And they'll look at me. I'll say, let's just have a look at the scriptures. We go to the scriptures and they say, oh, I realize I've been deceived. That's why we need each other. God has placed us as a body together to ensure as a church that Satan does not lead any of us astray. Okay? So other members of the body of Christ. And then lastly, the last point, a pure heart. And what do I mean by a pure heart? A heart that really wants to know the truth. A heart that loves righteousness. Do you know we live in an age today where people, and Paul prophesied this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said there's coming a day when people will no longer put up with the truth. They'll no longer tolerate it. But what they'll do is they'll gather teachers to themselves, multitudes of teachers to themselves, to say what their itching ears want to hear. We've got to be people that love the truth. Let me just finish with this one last scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 to 12. This is talking about the end of this age. And Paul says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Just because someone has some sort of power does not mean that they are of God. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you see the key in that verse that Paul is giving us to escaping deception and this powerful deception and delusion that's coming on the world, do you see what the key is? A love of the truth and a love of righteousness. And the love of the truth means a love of God's word. The Lord Jesus said God's word is truth. We've got to exalt the word of God and magnify it in our minds and in our hearts. We've got to give it first place. We've got to give the study of the Word of God its rightful place in our lives. If we don't, we're vulnerable. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that today we can be warned. Lord Jesus, you said, see to it, beware that no one leads you astray. And so, Lord, in these times where we see deception multiplying and so abounding, Lord. I pray that you would keep us as you promised, as you said you would. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us and his ministry in our lives. He is the spirit of truth. He is the truth. And he leads and guides us into all the truth. 
And I thank you for the scriptures that he uses to do that. And I thank you, Father, that we're a part of this body of believers that you have placed us in and brought us into. Lord, so that we can be instructed, so that we can take care of one another and look after one another and ensure that none of us wanders away from the truth. I thank you, Father, that everyone here, I believe, Lord, you have given to them, deep in their hearts, a love for your truth and a love for righteousness. And so I pray today, Lord, that these things would be increased in our lives, magnified in our lives. I pray for every person here today, Lord, anyone, Lord, that might be feeling right now condemned, maybe because, Father, they're living in sin, and they know it, and they've heard those scriptures, and they're wondering, is there any hope for me? Lord, I thank you that there is hope for them. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what we've done, we can be forgiven and we can find deliverance and escape from the power of sin if we desire it and, and we want it. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here today that might be in that place where they might be feeling that way. I pray for them, Lord, that you would just take a hold of their hearts and you would draw them to yourself, the one who is the Savior of every sinner. I ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.